This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. And give us a call at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. <coughs> Dave Grosby joining us at 1030. And don't forget Seattle Sports Saturday from 11 till 12. Baseball pregame at 12. And, of course, the Mariners take on Cleveland at 110. Let's go to Jet. Jet, how are you? Dr. John, shame on you. What's that again? Shame on you. Oh, thank you. you. Appreciate that. You would you be pushing Irish Mankey's buttons sometimes, would you? Oh, never. Never do that. I wouldn't think a man of your journalistic integrity would ever consider doing I mean, I mean, don't you? Like I mean, that. don't you agree? It's like this independent thing is ridiculous. Sure, you get to keep the money because you're not having to share all the TV revenue and, you know, you're a big draw and all that stuff. But, again, it, it goes against the grain. And it's not like... Uh, you know, whatever Notre Dame does, it's going to change the equation that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, I mean, they're always going to be ahead of them. Yeah, the, the time has passed. The time has long since gone. They, they definitely benefited from it for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for, for decades. Right. But the, the, that, time, that time basically ended about 15 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, and, and then you can see the success, uh, you know, like aligning themselves this past year because of the pandemic with the ACC. It's like, okay, fine. They won the conference. It's like, oh, you, you get a chance to, uh, or, you know, they, they, they get in the playoffs a little bit better. It's like, it only makes sense. I mean, you know, are, are, are you there for football reasons or economic reasons? I mean, the economics of, you know, being in the ACC uh, works out, uh, sure, you may not make as much money, but you have more chances to succeed. And I think the economic value. So it's, yeah, I, I I might be pushing Irish Mankey's buttons a little bit, but also I think you know, it's it's like you know it's, it's at some point you got to get away from uh, you know black and white TV. I mean, you got to get away from the rotary dial phone. I mean, you got to try to update yourself. Yeah, you got to move past Newt Rockney and Era Parsegian. Right, exactly. Um, you know th- those days are long gone, and it also it, it helps continue to build your program i mean obviously notre dame is uh is a noted franchise but you know i still think that uh uh unless you get that playoff exposure and that national championship exposure and capabilities you're not going to draw the top recruits mm-hmm. and look look at how the SEC has been uh been able to recruit i mean it's just vicious how they just able to corner the market on the top recruits year after year after year and that's basically because uh, just how they've they've risen to the top, and a lot of that is just because of the TV revenue and through their league. Right, and again, and, and what I'm looking at is that you know in college football, it's like okay, you, you've got five, maybe six teams that may be more than um, uh, you can account for that are going to be pretty much there most years. I mean, you know, LSU that wasn't there last year. You've got Alabama. You've got Clemson. You've got Ohio State. I mean, you know, it's like an Oklahoma. They and after that, there's a separation. And so, yeah. how do how do you get? I mean, it's kind of like, <clears throat> and we'll see how this works out. You know, Kyle Shanahan has always been a believer that uh, you don't necessarily have to have a mobile quarterback. And so, you know, he had Matt Ryan, and he met, went to the Super Bowl. 
as the as the offensive coordinator and didn't win that game because of poor play calling down the stretch and bad defense. And you know it's like uh, you know they, it didn't work out with Kirk Cousins. I mean Kirk Cousins did great in Washington, but he couldn't get over the top. Now all of a sudden he makes the move to go to Trey Lance, who has mobility, who has a big arm, and he might be able to take him to the next level. And that's what you want to be. You want to be at that next level. It's like what what Russell Wilson wants from the roster that he has, and what. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll wants. It's like you want to have that ability to get to the next level, and Notre Dame's in in that spot. Or I, I don't think they they can be on an annual basis in the same group as that top five or six. No, and the other thing that doesn't make sense with Notre Dame in particular is they also have a decent basketball program yeah. too. Yeah. So joining the ACC, they're not. You know, I look at what happened to Syracuse, and it's just a crime what happened to that wonderful Big East conference. You know, I mean, it was just, it was, well, it was one of the first ones, and it was gold. But they were all bas- you know, mm-hmm. basketball schools. Uh, and uh, then they, they, they went for greener pastures, and they went to the ACC. And look at the toll it's taken on their basketball program. I mean, they're just not competitive, quite right. frankly, right. in the top level. And, uh, and it's sad. And they, and, but the, the, the hope and the thought was that along the way, they were going to be able to reestablish their football program that's been dormant for, what, basically almost my entire life, uh-huh. you know, and uh, that just hasn't happened. But what doesn't make sense for a school like Notre Dame is they've got, obviously, the strong football program, but they have, you know, a, a, a better-than-average basketball program, right, too. Right, So going to a conference, they benefit in so many different ways, I and mean, they're just not the one-trick pony that, like, for example, Syracuse is. Um, so it, it makes absolutely no sense. You, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's it's just them being uh, obstinate and, and in some ways trying to be cute and trying to stand out from the crowd. But it really has borne no economic benefit for the last 15 years. Yeah, and of course, I mean, that's a, and the thing is, like, are, are you there from the competitive standpoint or the money standpoint? It seems like, oh, we want to have our own TV contract and everything else. Well, you're going to be on TV all the time. And it's like, you know, and, and you know, it's like we also look at the fact that, I mean, it could be, I mean, it probably be a better fit in the Big Ten. Because again, they're in that area, not necessarily in the South like the uh, you know uh, ACC, but uh, whatever it is, they need to get into a conference. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they could build substantial nat- natural rivalries if they were in the Midwest. Right. But uh, I think they went to the ACC. Well, I'm not sure why they went to the ACC. To be honest with you, um, perhaps maybe because of basketball. But I know. A lot of the, several of the Big East schools went down to the ACC, mm-hmm. so maybe they just followed them down there because of the basketball programs, and it just seemed like a natural fit. I don't know; it didn't quite make sense. But you're absolutely right; they belong in the Big Ten. But you know, maybe they just couldn't work an agreement out with the Big Ten. And quite frankly, I can see the Big Ten being a little chapped about how Notre Dame has treated them for the last four yeah, years, anyway. Yeah. So I can see there's a little bit of bitterness with the Big Ten and Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. uh, I mean, just just look at the problems that. Uh, they had with uh, you know letting in Penn State and Joe Paterno all those years, so I, I guess there's probably some backdoor stuff that we just don't, backroom stuff that we just don't know about. There. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Hey, let me ask you a question about the Jets before yeah. we lose time here. One thing, let me tell you one thing that concerns me, and I got to tell you, I loved watching Mackay Becton last year when he was on the field. Right. I mean, just watching this kid just maul, you know, the best athletes in the world. At, at like what 21 years old was just incredible but the thing i'm concerned about is his health and i mean he had several kind of odd injuries last year and this year he's on the shelf again already mm-hmm. because of a plantar fasciitis problem 
Now, you know, plantar fasciitis is, 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 can be very painful, but um, also it can be a little bit indicative of somebody, you know, carrying too much weight. And uh, what I'm worried about is, is and I want to ask you about is, what was their off-season program like this year, and what kind of control do they have over these guys in the off-season? Because I don't get the sense that he has turned, is slowly turning himself into an NFL body over the off-season condition, much like, for example, Quinnen Williams. Right. He was not in shape. He was not in NFL shape when he came in in his rookie year, okay? But he took a lot of time and, and, and really remade himself physically um, into an NFL body, you know, doing the stretching, doing the yoga, doing everything else, in addition to just pumping iron. And look at what happened last year. Mm-hmm. What I'm worried about, and it's something that desperately needs to be done with Beckton, and for, you know, an investment that they have in him and the potential that this kid's got, you would think that they'd be, you know, watching him 24-7, you know, putting him on the training table, uh, you know, putting him on the the, 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 the the food table, you know, watching, monitoring his food, monitoring his exercising. But what have they been able to do in the off season? And is this a lack of discipline on his part, or is it a lack of foresight on the team's part? Or what are they able to do in the offseason? Well, remember, I mean, it's like we're, we're, we're still in that uh, boycott stage, and yeah. everything's voluntary, like the Jets have their mini camp this week, and, you know, that's the only mandatory thing they can do. And that's that, that's the thing that, you know, I'm critical of the Players Association. I'm not saying that uh, you have to have 10 OTAs and all that stuff, but I think when you take the tact that uh, you're training on your own, I mean, you have the potential of having more problems because you don't know what you don't know. Now, again, you expect that with rookies, and particularly last year with nobody being allowed to come in, you know, any yeah. rookie last year was going to suffer because they, uh, you know, they just – don't know what they don't know. And, you know, I still remember talking to different players and they, they get it after the first year because it's like, oh, this is what I need to do. Because as they say, like, I mean, Jacob Martin um, was telling me, you know, when he was here in Seattle, that it's like a, it's like basically in uh, in the rookie off season, all you train for is your 40 time. So you're, you're a track guy, you're training for track and you're not training for football. And so then you come in, you're like, oh, so this is the football stuff. That's why I thought that Tom Brady and the Players Association was so wrong in even trying to talk to rookies into uh, boycotting. Fortunately, the agents for all the rookies uh, said, no way, they've got to be there and they need to, to be able to learn. And so then you start to get better at it. But I know one thing that GMs talk about, if you have an injury history in college, there's a great chance that your injury history is going to carry over into the NFL. Well, of course it is. I mean, that's just human nature. Yeah. I mean, you know, the body only heals so well and so much. Mm-hmm. But you know, it just concerns me that, uh, you know, I mean, if this guy's playing at 375 pounds, that's just too much. Agreed. And the human body, the human body just is not designed to carry that much weight and have to do what these guys are asked to do. So it seems to me they can, you know, peel off 25 pounds, 30 pounds from this guy mm-hmm. and, you know, convert it and, you know, get him on the yoga mat, you know, do some stretching, you know, do a bunch of this other stuff. And, uh, I mean, they've got a substantial investment in them. It seems like the team should be, and again, I don't know what the team can and can't do, but they should be more invested in, in trying to teach this kid how to take care of himself. Uh, and I'm, I'm concerned about that because yeah. uh, at these little, these keeps getting nicked up on these little things, but some of it, I think, the plantar fasciitis, is a concern because of, I think, the weight. Mm-hmm. And that seems eminently fixable. And I don't know what the team can do about it. And, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, like you said, he doesn't know what he doesn't know at this right. point. But he's been through a season now. So 
I mean, like so, I mean, but the, see, where the bit. problem is is that uh, once you get through the season, I mean, you know, you're on your own as a player, a player, because a team can't get to you unless you have some kind of an injury. And if you got an injury, then you can be in the facility and all those different things. But it's like, you know, I mean, you only have like what six weeks basically uh, to be able to have the OTAs and the mini camp and all that stuff. You've got six weeks in the off season, and that's it. I mean, so there's yeah. only a limitation to what you can control because all but the minicamp is voluntary. Yeah, and that's just not enough time to turn a body around. No, no. You know, I mean, you need a you need a full off season to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's concerning. So I'm a little worried about that. I, can, I, can I don't know what your that. take on that yeah, is. I, I could see that, but that's that's um, the problem of uh, you know all the players, veteran players, wanting to not have to do anything in the off season. Too much risk. Well, well, I can certainly understand the veterans' point of view, and they know they generally at that point they know what they need to do yeah, when they need yeah. to do it. So that that I you know I, I don't have any problem with the veterans wanting that time. You know they, they've got it, they they've earned it, they've learned it, and they can they can you know take advantage of it. But the kids just don't, and mm-hmm. you know I'm just I'm just worried about that. I mean the same thing happened with Chris Mims. I mean they couldn't keep him on the field last year because he kept having problems. And I think again that's a classic example of somebody that was. You know, training not mm-hmm. for football, but for his, you know, pro day workouts and everything else. Right. And by the time camp rolled around, he wasn't in football shape and couldn't stay on the field and missed, you know, the entire preseason and the entire first half of the season. Mm-hmm. Just I think because he wasn't in proper shape. I know. Hey, Jet. Thank you for the phone call. Take care, John. Have yourself a great week. Okay. Sounds good. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. John Clayton Show seven ten ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to David in Seattle. Hey, David. Hi, John. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good. The show's been just awesome today, and, and, uh, and I, I thought that Jet um, made some really interesting remarks about not just Beckton, but the whole yeah staying healthy and what they might have learned about staying healthy through the pandemic, strangely enough, the silver lining. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this controversy where one of the NFL sports media darlings is starting to take some heat down in um, San Francisco. Um, you know, the, the three players that got hurt in, in a matter of three days during a time when you can't win the season during OTAs, you just can't. Right, right. And um, they're finding out that the level of, of care that has been taken to, to make sure that the players are kept healthy is not very uh, detailed. And a lot of the press is really starting to push on this that are local in San Francisco. I think it's going to really kind of come out nationally next week. But mm-hmm. um, as a Seahawks fan, I like to follow the competition, you know, what's going on in the division. And uh, it really sounds. Justin Blackman came out and talked about it a lot. That that Seattle is one of these teams that just takes every measure to make sure that their players are healthy. Uh, each player is evaluated individually, and there are all kinds of electronic equipment that they wear to track them and how they're doing and what their heart rates are. And, and they evaluate them with blood tests to see how their nutrition needs to be adjusted and what their levels of energy and recovery are. I mean, they track all this stuff, apparently. And um, Kyle did an interview, um, I think, Friday. Uh, Thursday. Where, yeah, Thursday when he shut everything down, yeah. Yeah, and, and he was asked about this, and he really said, it's just football, you can't avoid it, and, 
And and now there's this whole dialogue going on about, um, wait, you can't avoid it, and this has been a history for this team going back to since you've been the head coach. And I'm wondering, do you think he's that great of a head coach versus that great of a offensive coordinator? I mean, he's a good head coach. There's no question about it. But there's something, something that's amiss right now with the injuries because, uh, in fact, I'm one-third of the way through on a Washington Post story for – that will come out next week, and you know, it's not necessarily on the injuries. It's just you know there's a good communication between he and John Lynch and everything else, but there has to be because there's so many problems with injuries. And so, like, for example, from 2013 to 2020, you know, they, the franchise, even though Kyle wasn't there that whole time, you know, led the league in ACLs, 23 ACLs. They've had now eight in the last two years, eight. Yeah. And so yeah. – that's not bad. And then by my count, because I count missed starts, they had 117 missed starts last year that uh, with injuries and COVID-19 that led the league. And then think about the fact that, uh, you know, they here's how it was. They go to the Super Bowl in 219. They come back. We got the pandemic. They uh, all of a sudden send everybody else uh, like they had 16 players go to Nashville, offensive players, just to try to train and stay in shape and all that stuff in June, roughly the same, you know, June 18th and 19th, and so. And they had four players that got serious injuries. Right. They couldn't even make it to training camp before the serious injuries started. And then, you know, then Nick Boza on the third, second, second week of the season blows out an ACL. Uh, Solomon Thomas blows out an ACL the same same game on a Sunday. It's like it's ridiculous. Well, and all three of these players that were injured just in the last week yeah. are gone. They're mm-hmm. gone for the season. Uh, well, remember Jeff the Wilson. running back, I mean, Jeff Wilson, I mean, he, yeah. he suffers an injury. It was a meniscus, and he's going to be out for half the season. At least. And, you know, they, they um, released uh, Justin School. Right. And he was their swing tackle. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that was going to pick up between their two veteran tackles that may be injured, right? They may have to take a game or two off right. the season. It, it's a crazy deal. So, you know, one of the things that I like about Shanahan is he's really developed this sense about how to really maximize uh, running backs. Uh-huh. And, and I go back to watching Bill Belichick doing this decades ago, where he gets the most out of good running backs rather than having to pay top money running backs mm-hmm. with scheme. And he can afford to have two or three or four on the roster as opposed to paying one guy way more, right? The Derrick Henry contract. Mm-hmm. And and Kyle Shanahan's done a good job of this too. This seems like a strategy that is absolutely general manager oriented in my mind because it lim- it gives you a greater ability to have more depth at the same time not spend any more money if you can scheme correctly. Well, you know Belichick's also done this for years and years, and I've never heard anybody talk about it with his how he he, he schemes pressure, right? Mm-hmm. And when Chandler Jones got so da- so many damn sacks that he felt like he couldn't afford to pay him anymore, right? It didn't make sense for their idea of how to manage their team and their their personnel. He, he let him go. He traded him. At, at some point, he seems to see that if, if you're that good, you're better, you're more valuable to me as trade capital, trade date, uh, draft capital that I can get out of somebody, out of a trade partner. 
And I think other teams are starting to do this. Do See, Seattle's one of them, on? by the way. Well, Seattle, okay. I mean, because, you know, Belichick, I mean, you know, Richard Seymour, and you go through the list through the years, uh, Trey Flowers and all those guys. I mean, he let them go as opposed or traded them or let them go to whatever degree because he doesn't want to pay big money to a pass rushing defensive end. Yeah. And, you know, Seattle is in the same way. I mean, they weren't going to pay $17 million for Jadevian Clowney. I mean, right. They were going to pay him 13 and maybe at one point they got up to 15 Uh, But they're not, they're not, they, they take the tack. It's like, no, we're not going to pay the big money like that because they just have, a, a, you know, a, a mindset that it's like, okay, we can still manufacture a pass rush as opposed to having one guy get all the money for the pass rush. Right. When, and we can spread that money around yeah. between competent guys, given the right, scheme, we'll get pressure. And that's what that looked like they've really maximized this year with that defensive front. Mm -hmm. Well, so here's the last piece of the puzzle. And I, I just, I'll, I'll even hang up once you get the question, but um, I, I want to hear what you think about the free agents that are still out there. I'm looking at a free agent that I'm surprised has not been signed. It's not KJ. I love KJ. Yeah, I hope yeah. they sign him. I hope, hope they sign him. But let's take KJ off the table because we know a lot about him. Right. Um, there's a running back out there that played three years for Atlanta. His name is Edo Smith. He's a small guy, 5'9", 200, runs a 4'4", 5'4", 4'4", He had great numbers in college, including solid games against uh, Kentucky, um, LSU. Uh, he, he put touchdowns on Washington in their bowl game in 2018. And the kid finds the end zone. He can be used as a return man. He's decent out of the backfield in terms of catching the ball, and he can actually block. And he would be a veteran minimum. Well, not even. He hasn't played for four years yet. Mm -hmm. And he's just sitting out there. And what we know about running backs is if they're running hard like a Chris Carson, they're probably going to break down at some point, and you're going to need somebody good behind them. And I, I loved Rashad Penny. I thought it was going to be a great pick, but that's been a real rugged trip the last three years. So... What do you think about that, and what do you think about who the, the other really great free agents are out yeah, there? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's pretty well watered down right now. You've got some guys that can come in. I mean, you still have Richard Sherman, and you've got K.J. Wright and guys like that. Uh, I, my, my guess is that uh, in the case of Ido Smith, I mean, what, he's 5'9", 195, so he's not the biggest guy in the world. He does have good skills and all that stuff. But uh, and you know, if he's going to sign, he's a fourth year guy, so it's going to be nine hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So at some point, somebody's going to pick him up. But you know, it's like uh, it doesn't doesn't seem to be a lot of people knocking on the door. Hey, thank you for the phone call. Thanks, John. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Let's go to Wheat in Tacoma. Hey, Wheat. Man, you know what have I been doing, John? No, all the flights are cheap, man. So I jetted out of here and I uh, went. Uh, I didn't. I almost bought a ticket, John, for. Thousands of dollars I did, and I changed my mind, but it, I, there was a lot of fans at the Super Bowl in Tampa, Florida. I was there, John. Mm -hmm. I stayed at Clearwater, John. And, uh, man, you should have saw this uh, professional sandcastle, some uh, some professional built. And they did a Tom Brady, uh, Patrick Mahone's huge sandcastle there on Clearwater mm -hmm. Beach with a Super Bowl trophy kind of thing. Oh, man, it was cool, John. There was a... But I hung out with all the fans, John, at the Super Bowl. That's what I've been doing. The flights are cheap, and I was I went to St. Petersburg and Clearwater Campus. So nice. I was, I was there, and man, and man, it was a lot of fun. And I, I was like, I wonder if I'm going to be the only Seahawks fan there. And, and on the boardwalk there at the NFL Experience, man, believe it or not, I, I met a lot of Seahawks fans. So I was kind of surprised 
And um, so that's what I did and got back from that, John. And then uh, a month later, I went to spring training for the first time in my life in March. And I went to, I was at Diablo Stadium where the uh, Anaheim, uh, California Angels play. And I guess that's the oldest, uh, the oldest spring training baseball field there. Oh, it's really cool, John. Hmm, Man, I was really wondering what it was like. um, And man, it was so fun. Then I got back from that, John, and then I went and played in a 50-and-over basketball tournament in Lewiston, Idaho, and Lapaway, Idaho. There was 12 teams in the 50-and-over division, played in that. But, John, I was uh, uh, wondering about, um, well, I think, one. Uh, do we ever talk about baseball, football, basketball cards, John? I, I see that uh, Tom Brady's uh, rookie card, autographed rookie card, sold for 3.1. I know, isn't that wild? You're, you're about I didn't know. Holy mackerel, man. What I'm curious of is that, uh, I mean, is the young generation right now into cards? Now, of course, I mean, we we grew up at the time that uh, cards were so popular because I know I used to collect a lot of cards and stuff like that. But I'm wondering, do the millennials and all that, are they card collectors? Yeah, John. uh, My uh, my, my, uh, nephew there, he... uh, he uh, tech, he showed me some of the cards he's been collecting, and I'm like, wow, man, yeah, it's way different. It's very serious now. So the it's fluctuated kind of back up for mm-hmm. collecting cards and stuff, and 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 they're in that plastic container. I don't know what you right. call it, a holder yeah. or whatever. That's how they're buying them now and everything. You know, believe it or not, I kind of got on after after the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, uh, John, I got online and I bought a, uh, just a, a new, not like an old Tom Brady car, but I bought one, like a current one of them. And, mm-hmm. But, uh, I got, I, 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 I got it. I, I was feeling the juice and I bought some Tom Brady stuff. I'm like, well, maybe it'll be worth. <laughs> yeah. You never know. I mean, great, well, anyway, greatest, yeah, but, greatest player of um, all time. Yeah. It's, man, I was kind of bummed out to look at the schedule cause I wanted, I, I'm hoping I would, I might have to fly somewhere to see Tom Brady because yeah, yeah. they're not coming to the West Coast. I checked their schedule. They're not coming to the West Coast, I don't think. so. Uh, but I see that uh, Trevor Lawrence is coming here, man, so I'm looking forward yeah. to that. I hope I get to see him. <laughs> I hope I, I hope I get to see him play the Seahawks and everything, so I'm looking forward to that, John. Yeah, man, and particularly they're not very good, so there's a good chance of a win with that game. Very good chance. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And other than that, just uh, – Kind of on a different schedule and everything. I totally forgot about the talk show and everything, John. Hey, I heard on, on the on sports radio, John. They might go uh, to uh, twelve teams yeah. in college football. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, they're gonna, that's going to be voted on next week. I think the seventeenth and the eighteenth. And so, uh, you know, as opposed to that ancient uh, four-team playoff, that looks like you know they'll go to uh, twelve, and that's the recommendation. I mean, you'll have the uh, the top four teams. Uh, ratings, uh, you know, as far as where they go, they're going to be top four seeds. They're going to get the first week off. They're going to have a bye week, and then you're going to have home games uh, for the higher seeds in that first week because you'll have eight games there. So yeah, it's like I, I've been thinking through it a little bit, and it's like I, I thought maybe 12 is a little bit too much, but really with the bye week and everything else, I think that should work out. But I think it's just so ridiculous that you can win a conference and then you know you can be replaced and not be in the playoff by some second place team in that in, in like the SEC or the ACC. Ridiculous. Yeah, you know what I'm thinking about for the fans too. You know, all across the country, you know, yeah. I can't remember Central Florida or University of 
I can't remember that Florida team that's always winning over there. Mm-hmm. And I think I was thinking about yeah, they got to be fired up for the fans because yeah, it's Central Florida, to look yeah. Do John, yeah, you no, know what I mean. So yeah. no, I think it's going to be great. Hey, Wheat, thank you for the phone call. Sounds like you're having a great time. Thanks, John. All right, 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Risco in Tacoma. Hey, Risco, how you doing? Good, how you doing, John? Doing, doing well. So I have a question. Do you think the Seahawks will start Dwayne Eskridge at punt returner and kick returner? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because, again, he's a good returner. I think that, you know, still you, you want to mix in Tyler Lockett because he's so good. But also you don't want to risk him to injury. You know, he's not old, but he's getting a little bit older. He's so valuable to the offense. And so I think Estridge, you know, that gives him a chance to get on the field a little bit more. I mean, because they're going to be, you know, juggling between a three-receiver offense and two tight ends and all that stuff. And, you know, that's one of his strengths. And I think when you have a, a second-round pick like that who's got great speed, that, yeah, I think there's a great chance that he's going to be the returners. And if he is the returner, how many punt and kick return touchdowns will he have? I mean, one or two at the most. I mean, because understand that, you know, the way this game is right now, it's, you know, you don't, there's not a lot of punt returns that go for touchdowns. And the way the kickoffs are, I mean, you get uh, very few attempts because, again, the kickers get the ball to the back of the end zone or into the end zone where you don't get the returns. Like, what was it? Like, uh, you get maybe 30. 30, 32, 33 chances on a kickoff return for any of the good returners all season long. And that doesn't give you a great chance to get many touchdowns. But again, when you can just break one to the outside, use your speed, you get one or two at the most. That's about it. Who is the best trade candidate right now besides from Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sold that anything's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Uh, I would say right now Zach Ertz, the tight end in Philadelphia, you have to put him up there because, you know, they need cap room in Philadelphia. He's making more money than they want to pay him. He's not happy there. And they're probably still asking too much in Philadelphia. But I could see him going to Buffalo or I could see him going to Indianapolis. Or Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, too. Do you think um, the Seahawks, where do you think the Seahawks would place around defense? Hmm. I'm thinking maybe top 12. I don't know if they can you know, make the jump into the top 10. I mean, that would be a ch- It all depends on the pass rush and obviously how they cover in the secondary. But, uh, you know, I think that overall, uh, I, I like what they've done at the defensive end position. I think they've got good depth and good quality. I think that, uh, you know, they have a lot of numbers at the cornerback position. I mean, the key, I think, right now is whether I mean, DJ Reed did such a good job last year, and it looks like he's going to be starting on the right side. Now it's a good battle between uh, Trey, Trey Flowers and Akello Weatherspoon to see who's going to get the start and be the big cornerback. And that'll be on the left side. So it's like, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, the left side's the most important because you're facing, you know, the right, you know, wide receiver. 
uh, slot receiver, not not slot receiver, but the the right outside receiver, which is usually the best receiver. So it's like uh, uh, we'll see if Witherspoon, Flowers. Now, Flowers would have to make the transition over to see if that's going to work. Uh, I don't know where it goes with their fourth-round pick. That's too early to call. But I'd say right now Witherspoon has the lead as far as being able to start at the cornerback position. Thanks, John. I love your show. Oh, thank you, Roscoe. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Jeff in SeaTac. Hey, Jeff. Hey, John. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, all right. So I was disappointed that we didn't end up getting uh, Julio Jones. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Russell Wilson would have at least gotten a one MVP vote this year if we would have had Julio. But could you see us um, going after somebody like possibly uh, Brandon Cooks in Houston and um, would we be interested, and what, what do you think it would cost us to get somebody like that? No, I don't. Think, I don't see it. I mean, they don't have a. Fir- I mean, you know, they didn't have a first round pick this year. Uh, I think they're good enough at the wide receiver position now. I mean, again, it wouldn't you know wouldn't kick uh, if they would bring Golden Tate back or anything else, but that's pretty unlikely. But no, it's like they, you remember you got a salary cap, and you got a budget, and so it's like when you start, there was no way they were going to get. Uh, you know, Julio Jones and the $15.3 million base salary, that wasn't yeah. going to work. Uh, I know that you know Russell Wilson would have, have to redo his contract to make it work, but also it's like you've got two things going on. I mean, you've got uh, you know the, the, one of the top five uh, wide receiver duos in football, and then if you bring in another receiver, then you're wasting the second-round pick that you have on uh, Dwayne Estridge. So it's like, uh, do you really want to do that? Yeah, yeah. And then I, I, have, I have one other question. It really puzzles me. There's a guy out there who was a, a pro bowler in 2017, 2018, 2019. He's only 29 years old. He, he, he didn't play last year due to COVID. Interior lineman Larry Warford that, that, that isn't on anyone's radar. Uh-huh. Um, could, could you just you, – do you know what's going on with Larry Warford? Because I always kind of wanted him here, and it's just kind of puzzling to me. Yeah, but I mean, I think right now that they they feel good enough about the guard position because you know, say what you want, they mean to trade to get Gabe uh, Jackson. You know, they have and he'll play right guard, and then they'll move uh, Damian Lewis, one of the better rookies last year on the offensive line, and they still have Phil Haynes, and they have other options right now at the guard position, and so it's like uh, you know, Warford wouldn't cost much. I mean, the one that I'm I'm kind of puzzled at is how come they haven't gone for Austin Reeder, the starting center for the Kansas City Chiefs. Because yeah, I mean, because he was replaced by uh, you know uh, Austin Bly from the Rams, and Bly ended up just getting the minimum salary nine hundred ninety thousand. So it's like uh, yeah. you know you can get Austin Reader for uh, nine ninety, and you know at least it gives another option other than Kyle Fuller as a backup to Ethan Posick. So do you think maybe we're waiting for for roster cuts to go after some guys? Probably. I mean, maybe. I mean, I think that they feel pretty good about the roster. Uh, there are 91 guys, including the international player. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I think they feel good about the roster. And obviously, it's now late in the process for right now because all you have is a three day mini camp and everybody goes on vacation. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for taking my call, John. It's a pleasure. Okay. Thank you. 866 979 ESPN, 206 421 ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Dave in Bothell. Hey, Dave. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Question about receivers on the uh, Seahawks. A few years ago, uh, a rookie, in fact, they traded to get this guy, 
He looked great in the preseason game. John Usura. Do you know anything no. about him? Is he still with us? Or yeah, he's what? still there. I mean, he was he played most of the year on the practice squad, uh, which means he doesn't didn't play last year. But you know, they they cut him, but they kept him around, and he's still on the active roster. And so right now, you could say that uh, great chance that uh, Dwayne Estridge is going to be the third receiver, and then it's a battle between Freddie Swain and Ursula to uh, try to be the the fourth receiver. Uh, so he hasn't got a chance. <laughs> No, he's got a chance. I mean, uh, but I mean, right now, I don't know if there's anybody among the undrafted guys, wide receivers that could beat him out. But uh, I'd say right right now you would probably pencil him in with five receivers being on the roster. He would be number five. Yeah. uh, The the big thing. Yeah. The the big thing with him is that, uh, you know, he's exclusively a slot guy. He has to play the slot, not real big, uh, good moves and all those different things. But the problem is that uh, that's where T.J. Lockett plays a lot, the slot. Yeah, yeah. All righty then. Well, I'm glad he's still on the team. Yep, he is still on the team. Okay. Thanks. Okay, thank you. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Jeff in Federal Way. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mr. Clayton. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday to you. So my question is uh, – well, it's not a question, but I just wanted to say I'm really glad that uh, some of the veterans, especially on the offensive side, showed up for OTAs this yeah. week. Yeah, it was good. That was huge. Yeah, I think they had uh, probably more than – by the time you got to Thursday, there was like more than 80 because I know that Carlos Dunlap and uh, Quandre Diggs showed up. I mean, still Chris Carson hasn't been there. I don't know if right. Tyler Lockett's been there. But, uh, yeah, it was good to see. And the big thing is, is that you know, at least – you know, the guys on offense had a chance to be on the field for a week, and then they'll have, uh, you know, three three days coming up to uh, be able to get the mini camp and then go on vacation. Well, I also think it's uh, it was important for Shane Waldron to know that these guys are, like, buying in or mm-hmm. respecting him. I think that was huge, and it's like, you know, it, it, it's really cool that they are all coming in. It's like, all right, let's see what we got here. Right. No, I think that that's a good sign because, again, I think it's going to be it's a good offense to try to run. I mean, right. you, you can hear from the 30 minutes that Russell Wilson talked on Thursday that he likes what he sees. I think uh-huh. you know, the complexity of the offense, the the fact that the ball comes out a little bit faster. Uh, yeah. We'll see how it works against the, uh, you know, the cover two and all that stuff. But again, it's like, you know, the cover two, if you go to the cover two, it's good for Russell to run the ball or at least fake the run or do jet sweeps and things of that nature. But, uh, yeah. no, I think that, uh, I mean, because more teams are going to this type of offense than any other offense right now because I think it's the well, one that's in style. The Seahawks had, like you said, I, I've heard you say this, mm-hmm. they've had they've had a hard time with, uh, you know, that cover two and zone and stuff yeah. like that, and they, they couldn't figure it out last year. And it's like, oh, my gosh. So uh, I was thinking maybe the dink and dunk, but uh, no, I'm I'm excited for that. And then uh, one other question is, I've heard a lot, a little bit of chatter about uh, the guy from Cincinnati, defensive lineman. I G- Geno Atkins. Yeah, Geno Atkins. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I know he worked out for Dallas uh, earlier this week, and so uh-huh. I think he is a consideration. Now he's coming off a shoulder injury, I think a torn labrum. So, uh, yeah. you know, he's a consideration. And obviously, he'll he'll sign at a minimum salary deal. He's not going to get much money. So it's like, uh, I think he could be a consideration. Well, that they definitely have to get Jamal done. Do you think that's going to happen uh, at the end of training camp? Yeah, I, I think toward the end of training camp. 
I mean, right. Brady Henderson was on the air this week from ESPN.com, and he says there's some progress, but it's not close right now. Oh, okay. Well, we definitely need to get that yeah, done. Yeah, agreed. So. And the other thing is, uh, you know, everybody's all hyped up on uh, the Rams and the Niners, and, uh, you know, they, they've got – you know, the Rams, they lost a lot of coordinators. Right. Uh, Jimmy G still throwing the ball for the Niners. Uh, and Seahawks are kind of like picked to be third. And it's like, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, yeah. I, I think what it is is that uh, the stupid uh, Russell Wilson story, which everybody overblew. Uh, oh, I heard that all week this week. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, are oh, you got to be kidding me? It's like, uh, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to take a 12-win team and, you know, with, with a quarterback who's either third or fourth in the league as far as being the best, and you're going to say, okay, well, they're going to be third. I mean, say what you want. It's like it's a quarterback-driven league. Just go back to last year. Who were the best two quarterbacks? Well, best three quarterbacks. I mean, you got uh, Aaron Rodgers, who get to the championship game with only one wide receiver. Then you have, right. you know, two Super Bowl teams and Tom Brady, who had a great year, particularly the second yeah. half of the season. Then you have Patrick Mahomes. And so, yeah. I mean, here you got a quarterback that's the best in a division, and you're going to and the defense should be a little bit better, if not much better. And then it's like, uh, you know, they've added on offense. And so it's like, you're going to put them third? Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. And then, you know, you just brought up Tom Brady. You know, as much as I despise the Patriots, yeah. I so respect Tom Brady. He is awesome. He is so good for the sport. Oh, no question. I mean, best quarterback ever, 10 Super Bowls, 7 wins. <laughs> It's just, it's just, I laugh when I see him, and it's just like, mm-hmm. wow, here we go again. I, I would imagine Tampa is probably the favorite this yeah, year in the NFC. Yeah, they are, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. injuries play a big part on everything. So, yeah, awesome. And that's going to be, okay, I think, well, uh, that's, that's going to be a big concern, I think, because again, say what you want. There was a great job. I know I wrote about it for the Washington Post of keeping that team together with all the twenty-two starters in the Super Bowl. But also, I know. how did they do that? It's amazing. I mean, first off, oh. and they didn't take, they didn't give discount deals. <clears throat> I mean, they had to pay, yeah. you know, what it costs. I mean, you know, they had to put a franchise tag on Chris Godwin, seventeen million for Shaquille Griffin, nine million for Indomik and Sue. But uh, yeah. the big thing is, they didn't cut anybody, uh, which yeah. is amazing. You know, no cap casualties or anything else. They only had to redo like three contracts, but they just did a great job of keeping it together. But here's where the concern is. They're now the oldest team in football with the oldest starting lineup in football. And remember last year, they were down in the bottom five as far as injuries. So you worry. It's like you got an older team that could get injuries. Hey, thank you for the phone call. All right. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you, John. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.